Are you ready to talk about the motion picture shows? I don't know. I'd probably have to say yeah on that one, question mark. Three hours for a movie? Welcome to Football's Day. I needed this thing to end quick, fast, and in a hurry. Is it though? Is it a good movie? Yes. I think so. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Cavender. With me as always, Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. The heat is on. It's on the street. What if we were doing that movie? That'd be interesting. I would probably want to do part two. <laughs> I would do the neutron dance the entire time. So. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. That's a pretty insane car chase because it's just a big rig wrecking a bunch of cars for like five minutes. Whenever I see disaster movies and things like that happen, I always think of the dollars. I'm like, man, this is going to take a lot to repair. So <laughs> I'd be really mad if I just got a brand new car and some big semi truck was running through the city of Detroit, just crushing things. Yeah, I'd be I'd be really upset. Yeah. Over cigarettes? Come on. Come on. We'll kill Are you anyways. legal? <laughs> What's the problem here? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it either. Anyway, how are you doing? Not too bad. It's hot over here. It's about 85, which is warm for Washington. And work's been busy, but it's good. Um, I have not watched the season finale of Better Call Saul. Part of me is just uh, kind of milking it because I want to, you know, savor the final episode. But uh, I also really need to watch it. So my, I went to my YouTube and I watch breakdowns of, of it all the time. And they stupid YouTube has like pictures from the thing. It's like, we'll never believe what happens in Better Call Saul. So I had to exit out real quick. So I've been trying to avoid YouTube for the past uh, for the past few days. Yeah, it's a good idea. I watch I started it about 30 minutes after the premiere. Uh, just or not premiere, but 30 minutes after the episode aired. So I could just fast forward to commercials and stuff. Mm-hmm. And man, AMC was milking the shit out of that episode, man. There were so many commercials. Yeah. I was I was almost offended. But so I got a I bought the entire six season for ten dollars on Amazon Prime uh during Prime Day, and mm-hmm. it releases each episode the day of. So it's it's commercial free, which is really great, and it's you know, it's mine, hypothetically. All right, well good. Um, quick housekeeping from last week. Uh, we did an episode on Prey, and I was running on fumes, and I misspoke twice, actually. <laughs> uh, when referring to Laura Croft, I think I said the word Tomb Raider instead, or I said Terminator instead of Tomb Raider, and uh, I think my brain just thought they were the same thing for a half a second. They, yeah. they both sound the same, Terminator and Tomb Raider. But uh, a T I, and an R in it. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? And then another thing was I meant to say the last samurai, but I think I said the seven samurai when referring to bringing a sword to a gunfight. So sorry about that. But uh, don't hate me. I was exhausted and I apologize. You know, that was the first comment I saw on Twitter is like that son of a bitch, Justin. <laughs> yeah, he just offended the Wichita Tomb Raider fan club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wichita chapter. I apologize to you. Yeah, there you go. I'll send you a, a signed headshot. My apologies. <laughs> Can you do one of these? Like it's hand hand on the chin, kind of looking down, sort of thing. Just sign it, say like Johnny Cage does when he uh, his his fatality. XOXO Johnny Cage. Right to my number one fan. There you go. I could do that. Happy to do that. <laughs> do you want the headshot in black and white or color? <laughs> All right, Tobias. <laughs> I can do either one. 
<clears throat> Excuse me. But uh, this week we're going to do heat. I know at the end of last week's episode, you were talking and closing out the show. And I was like, let's do heat. Oh, my God, I want to do heat. So I got I got excited. And I apologize for that. But that's the movie we're doing. It is streaming on Stars if you have that through like your Hulu's or uh, some other app, maybe through like a, a premium channel on Amazon, whatever. Uh, that would probably be the best way to watch it, assuming you don't own it. Uh, but it was written and directed by Michael Mann, who you might know from Last of the Mohicans, which we also talked about last week. That is that is all that I know about <laughs> North America <laughs> pre-1776. I uh, also did The Insider, Ali, Collateral, and Miami Vice, number one new hit show. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Bang! <laughs> so good. Uh, the cast includes, this is a bit of a who's who when it comes to the ensemble cast, but it has uh, Al Pacino, Mr. Robert De Niro, a.k.a. Bobby D, Val Kilmer, uh, McKelty Williamson, Wes Studi, who's also in Last of the Mohicans. Oh my goodness. He John is. Boyd, who's become a crazy person, by the way. Um, that's not libelous because it's true. Uh, Tom Sizemore, Ashley Judd, Diane Vanora, Ted Levine, who's got an incredible voice. Love the guys. Ted Levine. Justin. (laughs) Puts the lotion on its skin. Is she she a fat girl? (laughs) He's he's crazy. He's crazy. Uh, Dennis Haysbert, William Fitchner, and Natalie Portman. Dennis Haysbert also has a very iconic voice. He's the Allstate he guy. <laughs> He's got an incredible voice. I mean, I'm super jealous of Mr. Dennis's voice. Critical reception was uh, remarkably kind to this movie. Uh, it's an 88% on the old tomato meter there, which isn't half bad, uh, especially since it's a bit of a lengthy one. Uh, but we'll start with the bad. Uh, we have Stephen Ray from Philadelphia Inquirer. He says... So why doesn't Heat, with its elaborately staged, tautly edited robberies, its killer cast, edgy score, and elegant cinematography offer more satisfaction? Question mark. It's the script, comma stupid. <laughs> wow. He does not like the script to the movie Heat, which oh is unfortunate. Did he watch the? Did he even watch the movie? I don't know. Maybe. Let me tuned out. He does have glasses. Maybe he took them off. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Jonathan Rosenbaum from Chicago. We know how Chicago feels about movies, but this is the exception. I actually found a positive review from the city of Chicago, so I have to read it. This is You might want to mark this one down on the calendar. There's nothing really new in this length. <laughs> Starts off with a banger. There's nothing really new in this lengthy 1995 thriller by writer-director Michael Mann about cops and robbers in Los Angeles, but it has craft, pacing, and an overall sense of proportion. Three pretty rare classic virtues nowadays. So there you have it. And then I had notes here somewhere. The budget was $60 million in the United States and Canada. It looks like it did. Uh, 67 million. Uh, opening weekend was only a mere 8.4 million, which happened to be December 15th, 1995. And worldwide, you're looking at $187 million. Which was unreal. And you and I were texting about this that that release date was five weeks before Casino after. came out. After Casino came out. So, I mean, you got Bobby D. Uh, do, putting out two bangers, absolute bangers in Casino and Heat. And that's just. 
that blows my mind that two of these types of movies, you could go to the theater, you could watch Casino and then go see Heat five weeks later and be like, what just happened? This is incredible. <laughs> yeah, so, that was pretty good. Yeah, I loved it. Mm-hmm. So here are some fun trivia facts. Rather than dubbing in the gunshots during the bank robbery shootout, Michael Mann had microphones carefully placed around the set so that the audio could be captured live. Screw it, we'll do it live. This added the impact of the scene because it sounded like no other gunfight shown on screen. When Kevin Gage was in prison for two years in 2003, he was universally addressed by fellow inmates and prison guards as Wayne Grow, his character from this movie. So that is <laughs> fascinating because Kevin Gage, he's a he's a seedy looking dude. So it's <laughs> super it, seedy. curious on how he went to prison. But I mean, that may have like saved his life in prison, too. If they're like, hey, you Wayne Grow, right? <laughs> yeah, he's a total creeper. And uh, yeah. I had to do it, man. I had to do it. <laughs> he was eyeballing me sort of thing. Yeah. Um, crazy in the director's commentary michael mann noted that al pacino improvised the line because she's got a great ass and hank azaria confirmed it saying that al pacino's unexpected outburst scared the hell out of me he just actually terrified me and that the his look of shock was not acting at all wow that is uh, probably one of the most iconic lines in this movie i will just say al pacino is on like a 15 in this movie out of 10 he's I mean, uh, the original plot line, apparently he was supposed to be doing cocaine, Vincent Hanna, and I think it really shows. <laughs> so there are many moments in this in this movie that you're like, holy shit. And that's the next fun trivia fact, because in an early draft of the script, Vincent Hanna had a cocaine habit, which, according to Al Pacino, explains his bombastic outbursts. Um, yeah. Yeah. The give me all you got scene with Philip is <laughs> fucking yeah. weird. And like I banging on the te- on the desk and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Don't fuck with me. Don't fuck with my time or whatever he says. And he goes, don't waste my time, motherfucker. Uh, the coffee shop scene sold Robert De Niro on the idea of making the film. He, Al Pacino and Michael Mann later admitted that they couldn't wait to shoot that one scene. And it uh, was quite a scene, which we will discuss later for sure. And then finally, Michael Mann made the movie as tribute to a detective friend of his in Chicago who obsessively tracked and killed a thief named Neil McCauley. He had once met under nonviolent circumstances. Very cool. Number one show. Uh, Here is a synopsis. So Neil McCauley is a professional thief based in Los Angeles. He and his crew, Chris Shaherless, Michael Chirito, Trejo, I love that Danny Trejo is just Trejo, (laughs) and and newly hired hand Wayne Grow, rob $1.6 million in bear bonds from an armored car. During the heist, Wayne Grow kills a guard without provocation. Macaulay kills a second guard who attempts to pull out his concealed weapon, and Chirito kills the third guard so as to not leave any witnesses. Later, Macaulay prepares to kill Wayne Grow, but Wayne Grow escapes. LAPD Lieutenant Vincent Hanna and his team investigate the robbery. And Hannah, a dedicated Hannah, is a dedicated lawman and former Marine who has st- a strained relationship with his third wife, Justine, and struggles to connect with his stepdaughter, Lauren. Macaulay follows a code. Allow nothing to be in your life that you cannot walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you spot the heat around the corner. That's the name of the movie. He begins a relationship with Edie, a graphic design artist. Macaulay's fence, Nate, suggests he sell the stolen bonds back to their original owner, money launderer Roger Van Zant. Van Zant agrees, but instead arranges an ambush. Anticipating a trap, Macaulay and his crew counter ambush, kill the hitmen, and vow to kill Van Zant. I'm talking to, I'm wondering why I'm talking to an empty phone, because there's a dead guy on the other line. Something like that. Man, I'm terrible at quotes. Wayne Grow murders a prostitute. <laughs> Hannah's team investigates, discovering evidence that leads them to the murder of other prostitutes, victims of a serial killer. 
An informant of the LAPD connects Chirito to the robbery, and Hannah's team begin monitoring him, leading them to the rest of their crew and the next target, a precious metals depository. Hannah's team stakes out the depository, but when a careless officer makes a noise, Macaulay has his crew walk off the job. Macaulay's crew agree to one last bank robbery worth $12.2 million. Hannah tracks Macaulay and pulls him over on the 105 freeway, inviting him for a cup of coffee. They discuss their dedication to the respective jobs and the limitations of their personal lives. Hannah describes his failing marriage, and Macaulay confides that he is similarly isolated. Though they admit their respect for one another, both acknowledge that they will kill the other if necessary. Wayne Grow makes a deal with Van Zandt to help eliminate Macaulay's crew. Trejo quits the bank robbery at the last de- at the last moment, claiming the LAPD is following him too closely. Macaulay recruits an old colleague, Don Breeden, to take Trejo's place as the getaway driver, and the crew carries out the heist. Acting on a tip from Van Zandt's bodyguard, the LAPD intercepts the crew as they leave the bank, resulting in a massive shootout where Breeden and several officers are killed. Macaulay manages to escape with a wounded Shaherless. Chirito attempts to flee, but is shot dead by Hannah. After leaving Shaherless with Nate, Macaulay arrives at Trejo's house to find him mortally wounded with his wife killed. Trejo reveals Wangro and Van Zandt's involvement before asking Macaulay to kill him. Macaulay breaks into Van Zandt's mansion and shoots him dead. Upon learning of Macaulay's connection to Wangro and discovering that Wangro is hiding at a hotel, Hannah's units decide to use him as bait to lure Macaulay. As Macaulay prepares to flee the country, Edie discovers his criminal identity, but agrees to go with him. Before escaping, Shaherless attempts to reconcile with his wife Charlene, who has been forced by the LAPD to bring in her husband. He encounters her at her hotel, but she warns him away with a hand gesture, and he escapes. Hannah finds Lauren has attempted suicide in his hotel room and rushes her to the hospital. He reconciles with Justine after they learn that Lauren has survived. Macaulay drives to the airport with Edie, but he learns Wangro's location and abandons his usual caution to seek revenge. Macaulay infiltrates the hotel, pulls the fire alarm, bursts into Wangro's room, and kills him. As Macaulay returns to Edie, he is spotted by Hannah. Macaulay abandons Edie, fleeing out onto the tarmac at the Los Angeles International Airport, pursued by Hannah. The two stalk each other, and Hannah shoots Macaulay in the chest. Hannah takes Macaulay's hand as Macaulay dies of his wounds. It's a long one. Heat. Sounds like Shaq is saying heat. <laughs> and then there's like some some cool jazz, like. <laughs> heat. Uh, when did you first see Heat, and what were your first impressions? So I saw Heat probably about uh, when I was 20 or I was 19, I think I got it from Netflix. So it'd been quite a while. You know, I heard about it, but I watched I watched Heat and Ronin and Point Break all around the same time. And it was when the I got the 3DVD plan from Netflix. So all those movies kind of blended together for me <laughs> yeah. uh, because they all kind of are. I was like, I remember when Bobby D was in Point Break and then he takes the dead presidents through the car chase scene through Italy or whatever. And I was like, no, no, I'm confusing all three of them now. So, um, yeah. Yeah, Ronin, Ronin was like in 99 or so, 98, 99. Something like that. that. Later. Yeah, yeah. Point, point Break was 92. Um, Heat was 95. So, yeah, I mean, definitely the 90s binge, but I heard good things about the movies, and so I wanted to watch them. Um, I'm really glad we rewatched this because I I could not remember anything from this movie, movie other than maybe the giant shootout scene. Uh, it's really long. I wasn't anticipating it to be two hours and 50 minutes, even though it said it was two hours and 50 minutes. It just... 
it was a chore. I was like, holy shit. And I had to watch it late at night, so I didn't get to bed until midnight. But um, but yeah, I think the thing I remember most was the bank heist scene just because it's super iconic with the hockey masks and everything. Oh, you mean like the truck? No, no, the um, uh, oh, that is the tr- truck scene. That's yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The hockey mask is the beginning with the truck. Well, scene. I, clearly, I didn't remember shit. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because there's a, kind of a lot that happens in this movie, and it's easy to misremember it. Uh, and then we'll get to that actually. So the film actually. So I actually saw opening weekend. My uh, I saw opening day. My sister picked me up from school. Uh, it was her, her boyfriend at the time. Uh, and then my other sister and we all went to the movies together and we saw Heat and we all freaking loved it. It was crazy. That's awesome. I was 15 when I saw this movie and holy shit, I thought it was so cool. Did you grow a ponytail like Val Kilmer after that? No, no, I never did the long <laughs> hair. I, I hated long hair. I know and, you <laughs> But this is, this is right after Batman Forever though. So Batman Forever was in the summertime and of the same year. So it was only a few months. Jeez, what a year six, for Val Kilmer, too. Six months separate, too, yeah. And then, I mean, he's coming off of, you know, pretty much being in a lot of stuff. Uh, sort of a resurgence in his career after Tombstone is like a super performance as Doc Holliday and everybody wanted him for everything. Yeah. So, like, you know, after Tombstone, there was Batman, of course. There was The Saint. The there Saint. Was this, well, this movie, <laughs> then The Saint, I guess, would probably yeah. not work. Yeah. But anyway, he was he was hot. He was he was Hansel of the 90s. It's so hot right now. <laughs> yeah. My goodness. Uh, but the film kicks things off pretty early with quite an action sequence. Right off the bat, we see Neil and his crew. Uh, they are professional thieves. They even got the cool hockey mask that you were talking about. Uh, does this initial heist do a good job of selling you on their abilities? Were you bought in early or did you need more convincing? Yeah, I, you know, I absolutely loved it. Um, I, I watched, I watched it a certain part again because I was listening to a podcast on heat and I watched it again. So the opening scene is done very, very well. If you pay attention when Neil is walking through the hospital, he, he doesn't touch anything. Like he uses his elbow to hit buttons, to open doors and he um, has his gloves on and such. And that's of course to leave no fingerprints. And I didn't even think about that when I was watching it. Cause it starts, you know, with the credits rolling and you see Robert De Niro walking through and you're kind of like, well, what's he doing? Um, I love everything that was, that it was building up to. And we as the audience got to discover kind of what was going on in the film. Uh, like why, what is, what is Chris buying? Who is he? Why does he have a, um, uh, why does he have a tape measure attached to his pants? Like, is he in construction? Probably not with a haircut like that. And you get to see the calculations that they get to do. And that's what I really, really liked. So I was, I was definitely hooked uh, early on because I'm such a fan of that calculation of the routes when they're all talking about, all right, he's coming across here and timing. They're like, all right, get ready. And then we're going now with this truck. The masks look badass. Uh, everything building up in the first like yeah, 10, 15 minutes, like you're saying, just really worked. Like I had no idea what they were stealing. Um, clearly, it wasn't money, but it was just such a smarter, smarter uh, plot. And then when the door wouldn't when the door wouldn't explode. Like he kind of hits it. I'm like, oh, they kind of messed up a little bit, which, you know, this crew is, is the not fucking around crew. And so that was interesting for that to happen. Uh, but I was 100 percent bought in and I, I really, really enjoyed the, the, the calculation behind the plan. Mm-hmm. And I like how Wayne girl is like yelling at them. And then Torito's like, he's like, hey, slick, you see that shit come out of their ears? They can't yeah. hear you. <laughs> they can't hear which, you. You know, a lot of people wouldn't think about that you know they'd be like oh yeah makes sense light bulb 
Yeah. Uh, and that poor guy, man, he's just like staring at him because his ears are ringing. He has no idea what he's saying. He can't see his mouth. It's like he could read his lips because he's wearing a hockey mask, you know? It's crazy. It's really scary. Wayne Girl was quite a piece of shit. You always have that wild card that's going to ruin it for you. Yeah, he's he's gross. I don't like that, man. But I think it was a very good intro for sure. Oh, yeah, 100%. Are there any other films that you can think of that knocked it out of the park when it comes to showing how badass the villains are at the beginning of the film? So I was thinking about groups of villains, and I know there are probably more out there. And then I was thinking about individual villains as well. Um, and we've been treated to some pretty amazing villains. But I'm thinking of, you know, The Town, which is definitely a... Uh, a heist a, movie? Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. It's definitely it's definitely a heist movie. But but it's not... I was going to say it's... it's um you can see how much influence they've taken from heat. Like there are so many, you know, beats, especially watching heat this time around where I'm like, Oh yeah, the town took that. The town took that. They took that. Uh, it still doesn't make the town any, you know, less of a movie. It's still incredible. But I would say, um, the introduction to them is, is fantastic. Same thing in point break. You really are like, dude, I want to go surfing now. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> everybody's learning how everybody's learning now. <laughs> get off my wave. But uh, no country that for would old. be a waste of time. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, back off, War Child. <laughs> Serious. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. Back off, War Child. Comma. Comma. Maybe, Seriously. maybe pause a little longer. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, all right, cool. Yeah, I wasn't being serious, but I got you. Uh, no Country for Old Men, Anton Sugar. His introduction is terrifying. Ooh, I don't like that it's, at all. Yeah, the, the funky haircut. You're like, what? look at this pumpkin pie haircutted fruitcake. And so then uh, he just murders that cop. It's pretty It's pretty gnarly. Um, Inglorious Bastards. Uh, anytime you get a meet. So Han, Hans Lando, I, I believe, would probably be you know one of the most terrifying villain introductions because, again, he's so calculated and and calm. And you're like, well, what is he doing? And then that reveal of, oh, my God, there are there are Jews underneath the floorboard. And he knows him drinking milk is so gross. And he's just, yeah. Ooh, I love yeah. surprises or whatever. He says. <laughs> That's a yeah. bingo. That's a I like, bingo. <laughs> I like it when he says, oh, Shoshana. Shoshana. Yeah, really, really good. Uh, the Dark Knight, obviously, the introduction of the Joker is incredible because you have he he, he basically has collusion between the team, uh, the team members and they're killing each other off because he's like, oh, yeah, Joker told me we'd split it four ways, not five ways. And then he's like, bam, you're dead. So, I mean, it just was really cool. Which fun fact, William Fickner, Van Zant is in that movie, too. He is. I just yeah. call him Armageddon, actually. So when yeah. he's in a movie, I call him Armageddon. Oh, shake your hand. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then uh, The Raid Redemption, one of my favorite action films of all time. The the villains in that, especially the really short guy with the um, like goatee and the long hair, he is incredibly scary and he is such a good fighter uh, i mean he comes back in the second one too but the way he kills people and the way he just takes on all these cops is like holy shit you know um so that movie just in general has a really good villain setup uh, kill bill same thing uh, i really love how each each person so like especially volume one how each person that she's supposed to kill um is they have their backstory. So like Oren Ishii's is told in anime basically, and you get to see her, her henchmen, um, like the crazy 88s. And then, um, what is, I forgot the, the girl's name, but how they kill, like they're pretty, they're pretty evil. And so I really enjoyed that. And then oh, go, 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 go. Yeah. Yeah. With her little ball chain thing. Yeah. She's crazy. crazy. <laughs> so crazy. 
Um, John Wick 3 also, that would be the other one too. And in John Wick 3 specifically, you get to see uh, Mark Descantis or whatever his name is. Um, he was in a whole bunch of movies when we were younger. Only the Strong is like one of my favorites with him. And he's Iron what Chef, man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, dude, that movie is incredible. And so he um, his ninja crew is assassins that are introduced. They're incredible. And then John Wick basically has to fight through different levels of them at the end. So I thought that those were all really badass ways to show them. And um, all those films, you know, they took ideas from each one, um, essentially. But yeah, really, really good. I couldn't think of any other ones, though, unless you could. that's a lot. I mean, I, I think you named all the ones that I was going to. So you are in the clear. Cool. I think, I think you're good. Uh, so Michael Mann loves color. Uh, so many of his shots in his films feature blue and green and even yellow hues and tones. Uh, what is your take on his use of color in film? So this is definitely weird. I was talking to our buddy um, Jeff Mueller, Mighty Jerd, and when I told him we were going to do Heat, he was like, oh, dude, love that. He's like, so much blue. And I was like, yeah, there's there's a lot of blue in this movie. He Michael Mann does love that collateral is another good example of it. He uses a lot of yellows um, that are, you know, the subdued feeling. I think La- he uses green, too. He he does use green quite a bit. And then same thing with Last of the Mohicans. He uses a lot of green and yellow. Um, Miami Vice, I think he used a lot of blue, but he, he definitely loves color. And specifically, one shot comes to mind. It's when we first see Neil at his beach house <laughs> when he's just looking yeah. out and it's all blue. And I thought that was such a beautiful shot because we don't necessarily know at that time. But but after watching it and after analyzing it, the blue can represent loneliness. And you get to see that with Neil is, you know. I'm alone. I'm not lonely, um, which I don't think is accurate because Edie comes into his life and he realizes that he is lonely. But but just the, the small examples of this beautiful, massive, grandiose house, but no furniture. But, you know, he looks out to the ocean, which is like his escape. And um, I thought it was really well done. There are other shots in this, too, uh, where, where green is used to kind of represent maybe envy or this sense of similarity between uh, Vincent and Neil. So diner scenes, um, uh, different nighttime scenes under lights, like when we first meet Nate and Neil, it's in it's in green. Um, Vincent has a few in those. Uh, and then I also noticed there were some shots in yellow and that can be that can Mexico. Be, Exactly. Yeah. Mexico and Netflix, Mexico in real life. Um, Sicario, pretty much. But um, it can mean complexity. And, and, and what I mean by that complexity or confusion, what I mean by that is, you know, at the end of the film, spoiler alert, Neil has that incredibly tough decision to make is I could get away scot free with my with my gal and we could get to New Zealand or I could settle the score with Wayne Grow. And he goes to settle the score with Wayne Grow. He breaks his own damn rules. And he comes back and he's distracted. But the the entire hotel room and in that shot is is pretty brightly lit. It's it's mostly yellow hues. And I believe that's because of just this complexity of like, what the hell is he doing? He has a lot going on in his mind where he's driven by revenge and these tasks to complete when he really could just be gone. He had eight hours to get the hell out of Dodge. And now he's coming back to settle the score, which ultimately leads to his demise. And I thought that that was really brilliant. I would love to watch it again just for the color watching um, because I was I was too focused on the the story itself. But um, that's what I noticed. I didn't see anything else, though, unless you did. Mm-hmm. Halsey wrote a song about it. everything is blue, his pills, his hands, his jeans. And now I'm covered in the colors pulled apart at the seams. 
So did Eiffel 65. I'm blue. It's basically a soundtrack to, to my life, man. Uh, I don't think that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of fired up with Chumbawamba. Dude, this is the soundtrack to my life. Fired up. I've (laughs) never heard a fired up reference in my life. I dig it. So it's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I am curious. Uh, We'll get to that in in a second here. In fact, so he is interesting for me in that I kind of root for the bad guys. You know, like where do your loyalties lie in heat? Are you pulling for Vincent and his boys in blue? Or would you rather see Neil and his crew right off into the sunset? Because it's the the movie could have gone two ways. You know, he didn't have to break his rule after telling us twice in the movie that you know you never get a, yourself attached to anything that you can't you know walk away from in thirty seconds flat when you spot the heat around the corner. It's he he literally could have had two of the four of them could have had a happy ending, and we don't we don't get that. I bet so I'm you, just curious where I, yeah. where you end up on this. Like, are you glad that Vincent, you know, was able to to bring his boy in, or would you have rather seen Neil get away? So I definitely, it was tough because I think that's the point of this movie, and I wasn't rooting for them the entire time. But I definitely you had a foam finger that said Heat on it. <laughs> I I will tell you after watching Heat, I think Robert De Niro has has made him has brought himself into my top 10 of favorite actors of all time. We've done a lot of Bobby D's on this. And I was going to say when you were talking, I was going to say, I bet you would Panama red, which is still (laughs) one of my favorite lines he's ever, he's ever said. And I I quote it almost on a daily, but, um, but I think it's, it's, we, we review those movies because he's just giving, he gives great performances and, this one is no exception. It's it's incredible. So I was definitely rooting for them at times, but it was they're bad guys. I mean, Neil killed people. Neil killed cops. He um, uh, was in the shootout. Chris killed cops. Uh, Michael killed cops. And so, you know, they, they aren't good guys, but you are kind of pulling for them. And, and like I said, that's the point. That's what Michael Mann wanted to do. I think he's focusing on these imperfect people. And you you want them to lose at the same time that you're rooting for them, which I think is so cool because there's so many movies and shows that kind of came after this that did that. So I'm looking at Breaking Bad where we're cheering on Walter White. I where, was not. <laughs> where I understand. But at, but at a certain point, you're still like, oh, man, what's going to happen? And even, even Jesse Pinkman is like, you know, he can't keep getting away with this. And and that's that's what we've what has um, developed from movies like heat it's 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 rooting for those bad guys or the town right we're rooting for jem to survive but jem is kind of a piece of shit too he's killing yeah, cops I'm as well rooting for that guy I hate it, that guy you don't like jem he's a gem no he's the worst <laughs> and then uh, ozark too you're like they're pretty bad and wendy bird i'm not rooting for her but at the same time there are moments when i'm like i don't want her to die but she's I terrible do. she's terrible i want her to go down like a sleep muffin i know you Can't you like those muffins that wendy bird. Those who was I talking to about Breaking Bad the other day? Where, I, where my favorite moment is when he like freaks out when he goes to get his money. Was that you? Where uh, like uh, she, he no. goes into the basement to get all of his his fat stacks and it's not there. And and Skyler's like, I gave it to Ted, <laughs> and he's like, Why would you give it to Ted? He like has like a total mental breakdown, and he's got like this maniacal laughter as the episode ends. It's where it's so pull, it's pulling up and looking at him from the yeah, ground. Yeah, it's one of the best shots. Yeah. Favorite moment in all of Breaking Bad was that scene right there where he just loses it. 
It's really good. Yeah, that's one of the most uh, called back shots that I that I remember from it. You know, I'm the one who knocks that and then Gus yeah. getting his face blown off is pretty Hust incredible. And straighten his tie. Yeah. Holy so in, shit. in my notes for this, uh, you know, talking about rooting for the bad guy. And I feel like that's only because and you touched on this, that, that there there are degrees of villainy in this film. And Neil, Chris and Donald and Trejo are all relatively decent fellas. Michael, not so much because. You know, he takes a child hostage and Wangro is just pure evil. But the action uh, is the juice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even Van Zant is as crooked as a barrel of snakes. But for the most part, the main crew isn't exactly inherently evil. Uh, but we've talked about this ad nauseum when it comes to just people that steal shit. We're just not really fans. But this movie has a way of connecting us with these characters on a way that we're not always prepared for, which yeah. I think is, is interesting. Well, and I think one really interesting point, too, was you could say this exact same thing because Vincent had a symbiotic relationship with Neil. I mean, they were the same person through and through because, you you know, I'm rooting for Vincent to catch them, but his ends don't necessarily justify the means because he's so hell bent on getting Neil that he puts his life and his other officers lives in at stake. So his his friend, uh, Ted Levine, gets fucking shot, and it looks like he's still kind of breathing, and instead of taking care of him, he just continues on. And then, you know, he checks on him real quick and then continues on. And then when Neil runs with Chris, instead of... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say he was shot in the throat, and it yeah, pretty bad. <laughs> but but so but I'll just tell you as someone who who uh, studied policing and stuff like that is that is your focus are, are, are the people and the things the bad guys will get caught. I know you need to neutralize a threat, but no one else was around him. Uh, weird. He didn't have a radio to call for help for anything like a medic, but that's what you're supposed to do. It just that seemed a little weird to me. Um, mm -hmm. it, but I think it, it, it was done on purpose because it ties into how Vincent is. And Vincent is so, you know, keeps him sharp, right? He, he's married to his profession. That's what he knows how to do. And he, he needs his angst. It's, keeps yeah, him sharp. Well, it's, yeah, he's like, keeps him sharp. It, <laughs> it's exemplified perfectly when he continues to chase Neil instead of um, disengaging he's going through like a grocery store plaza. There's tons of people around and he's holding up his gun, causing Neil to fire on him and potentially causing collateral damage. Um, he just keeps going and disregards others in that, in that chase. And even when he kills Chris, when or I'm sorry, even when he kills Michael, when he picks up the little girl, that is a insane shot that you should never, ever, ever, ever do as a police officer. But he is just batshit out of his mind. He is so fixated on catching these guys that he will go to, uh, you know, the ends trying to justify those means. And it just doesn't work like that. And so you could argue that Vincent Hanna was was not a, a really good guy in this movie. Like, yeah, he's a cop. But I think that's what this movie's about is like they're the same person. Just one has a G-Man badge and the other doesn't. So, yeah, it's... um. It was really fascinating. I think that was probably my favorite aspect of the film was just how batshit crazy both of them are. Mm -hmm. All right. So don't let yourself get attached to anything you are not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around the corner. That's the line, right? Some would say that that's pretty, pretty tough words to live by. Can the Zach that we know today walk out on his attachments in 30 seconds flat or will the fuzz bust his booty? <laughs> I can't just walk out in 30 seconds flat. I, I care too much about people. Get on your bike. 
Yeah, I could do that. Um, but I would be that person that is helping Chris, which would probably be you in our shootout and uh, getting shot in the clavicle. <laughs> me. I'd, I'd, I'd run over there and I'd, I'd help you because that's what that's what friends do. And Neil cares a lot about Chris. And you can see that. I mean, Neil breaks his own rules so much in this damn movie that it's it's hilarious, right? He doesn't really do the 30 seconds flat or the discipline thing. He just breaks the rules. So for me, yeah, it'd be it'd be a really hard world to live by just leaving everything behind um, and just not caring about anything. Why would he have that giant lavish house if he's ready to just walk away in 30 seconds? Could be a rental. It could be. Could be month to month. You don't know. Has there ever been a time when perhaps you could leave it all behind? I mean, I think I think maybe, but it would it wouldn't just be, hey, I'm going to leave right now. It would be. Yeah, I need a change in in this world and in life. And I think I can la- change and you can change. <laughs> I don't think can so. Change. Rocky was wrong. All right. Could um, you do like a Christopher McCandless and burn your social security card and your ID and and hit the road? So I think about that. And that's so funny because that's something that I as romanticized as that is to just go live off the land. And I love Into the Wild. I think it's such an awesome film. But no, I. I would not be able to do that. Um, I could go live off the grid, but I would still need some comforts like money and an ID. Um, so and I'm not chocolate. I'm not willing to give those things up. But last year I went on this kind of pilgrimage when I was I was in a rut with life and I was trying to find uh, find out where I could live or, or maybe a different purpose. And so I started traveling around a bit. Um, I went to four different cities last year and I was looking at apartments and just possible jump off places to go to. Um, but ultimately it kind of came down to I would just miss the Pacific Northwest too much because the mountains and the the water make me happy. Um, so that would be that'd be hard for me. Um, I'm not scared of the change. It's just that I have I have a lot here that I like. So um, the, the 30 seconds flat leaving would be really difficult. I guess if I rob banks, though, it would be a little bit easier. I'd have yeah. a, I'd have it like a like when you go to the the hospital and you have a pregnancy uh, duffel bag. Mine would be like a getaway du- duffel bag. Sure. <laughs> so have my running shoes in it and my favorite pair of shorts in it, all that kind of stuff. Mm, that's fair. So let's talk about Vincent. You know, you mentioned it before. This guy is a machine. His motivation is to get up every day and go to work and catch the bad guys. Uh, it's pretty normal for him to just put his work before his family. Uh, In his first scene, we see him make the sweet love to his wife, shower, then pass on breakfast. Got to meet Bosco. And uh, his wife, (laughs) Justine, and stepdaughter, Lauren, have a scene together, which clearly shows Lauren is aboard the struggle bus. Uh, What were your first impressions of his family dynamic? It was uh, it was hectic. I didn't really understand. I didn't think that they were married. I thought that Lauren just showed up and I was like, oh, hey, it's mom's boyfriend. or Oh, it's, you know, Al Pacino who comes over and bangs my mom or something. Uh, very surprised that Natalie Portman was in this movie. I completely forgot. And I think this was like her second movie after Leon, right? So uh, she's also in Beautiful Girls. That might oh, have been before. OK, well, she's regardless, she was still very young and it's like, oh, it's Natalie Portman. Holy shit. Um, but I think, you know, it, it just it starts out where you you think it's like an okay relationship, but then it builds from there and he has the whole, I got three dead bodies in Venice and you're worried about overcooked chicken or whatever. You see how obsessed he is with his work and he's just incapable of having an actual relationship. Um, it's really heartbreaking, but you know, that saying misery loves company. He, 
it's 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 why he does what he does and he's like i said he's the same person as neil and this mm-hmm. the, um this film is is really good at at drawing uh meaning or attention to the minutiae of work because both of these guys are just obsessed with what they do they're fantastic at what they do and while it's good you know we talked about this on whiplash at what point is it like are you perfect and i don't think perfect's attainable but both of these guys are striving for that even if they won't come out and say it i mean neil is obsessive he knows when he hears a click out by trucks he's like i don't like this we're pulling the job we're leaving and it was the right call but it's like do you think someone that was less disciplined would have been able to notice that sound and been like oh shit we got to pull this um so there's there's a lot that goes in it or like or vincent knowing that slick ooh, he said the word slick so that means you know uh Michael must have said that somebody said that. So now I'm going to piece that together and boom, now we have our bank robbers. I thought that was a pretty far fetched uh, way to figure out who the robbers were because of slick. But I know, but no one really says slick. No one calls anybody. slick. You call me slick all the time. You call me tiger. You call me sport. <laughs> and Desperado Jeff Goldblum says his name and then he goes, but my mother calls me slick. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, he's in Desperado. Des- I'm sorry. Uh, Silverado. Oh, I said Desperado. Silverado. I was like. Who? Steve yeah. Semi? <laughs> he's in, he's in, no, he's in Silverado, cowboy yeah. movie. But he's like, yeah, my mother calls me slick. Like, oh, uh, oh, and uh, just quick, uh, quick fact check. Beautiful Girls was after Heat. So it was uh, The Professional, then Heat, then Beautiful Girls. Finally, now. I was right once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 I get one. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing that I thought was in, uh, interesting about uh, Justine is when... You know, Al Pacino goes and he takes his shower. She opens up a little drawer and pops a pill. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm, we don't know what it is, but I, it could be an antidepressant, you know, like it's she's a breath mint. She's going through <laughs> things, uh, which I thought, I don't, I've seen the movie a billion times and maybe I just never noticed that before. But whenever we watch a movie for this podcast, I, I try to wear like a different lens and watch it just a little bit differently. And I don't remember her ever popping that pill before. Right. And then she smokes weed, too, uh, after yeah. she you know puts her makeup on. And he's like, what are you doing? And she's like going out smoking weed. So it's it's always interesting when that happens. You know, you have a partner who's a cop or a dad is a cop. And it's those ones who are the most rebellious. I knew kids like that in high school who their parents were in law enforcement and they were just the craziest. They were the party animals and want to break rules. And I'm like, you done fucked up. Mm-hmm. Crazy. So now fast forward to the end. Does Lauren trying to take her own life make sense to you? Were you were you given enough cookie crumbs throughout the film to get to this point? No, honestly, I, I thought it was pretty out of place and it really didn't do much to the film, in my opinion. I mean, it could have I mean, it could be it could be said that it puts emphasis on the fact that Vince is sacrificing all of his relationships because he's obsessed with his work, but it kind of just felt so sudden and we didn't get enough time one on one time with him and Lauren to really get me to care about her character. I mean, obviously, you know, it was, it was sad. It's like, holy shit. And it does bring him and Justine back together. But it's kind of all for naught because he tells her he's like, you know, we're, we can't be together. Um, I'm I'm obsessed with this life pretty much. And then she's like, OK, and lets him go do his thing. I just didn't think it really went anywhere. Um, and that was that was unfortunate. Uh there were moments like that in this movie too, the, with storylines that kind of didn't make any sense. So like, why did Wingro kill the prostitute? What did that really represent to show that he's a really bad guy? Cause it was a really disturbing scene and it, 
I don't know if it really enhanced the movie. Right. And there was other people, the, the coroner connected him to another murder previously. Yeah. From a couple weeks before. So he's just a gross guy and, uh, you know, a, a bad dude all around. <laughs> uh, so it wasn't going to work out with him. But I'm curious if at the end of the movie, when, you know, we, we think that, that Vincent and Justine are not going to stay together based on what he said. But when he kills Neil at the end and he's holding his hand and he's just kind of looking around, part of me thinks that he's sort of starting to get a grasp on his reality and what is important. I mean, that's definitely one way to look at it. Um, it ends so abruptly, but I really do like the, the you know, the ending scene. Nothing's really said. It's just the holding the hand thing. Um, I can't remember if what lines they say, but it's they don't really say they anything. don't. Yeah, they just kind of hold his hand. And that's so fascinating because like I, I told you, the symbiotic nature, I mean, everything that was said was in that coffee shop where they were incredibly transparent with each other. And so that was. Yeah. That, well, if that's the case, though, Zach, if one is dead, then the other they don't need each other anymore. So yeah, he can be with his wife. He definitely can. And I think it leaves it up for interpretation. And, and so I'm just waiting on that day that heat two comes out. Heat two yeah, electric got, boogaloo. Got the book now. I can read the book. I know. But it uh, I think he could he could learn. And, and maybe maybe that was a, a perfect storm of the combination of him fleeing um, him, leaving that gal and then Lauren. Uh, almost killing it herself that he realizes like, holy shit, like I need to pump the brakes and live my life a little uh, instead of, you know, hanging out at the, at BJ's at 2 AM. So yeah, he's going to see you tonight. Yeah. <laughs> BJ's 2 AM. Yeah. No, no, he, he's going to be here tonight. <laughs> I love that. He's I like, do great. For you, well, but you don't do it for me. Is that it? Yeah. So you oh. saw, you saw con on the street. You want a G man badge? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. You get so, shot walking your dog. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the shootout. This 10-minute segment of the film makes me nervous every time I watch it. Walk me through your first experience with this scene. So you said that you didn't watch it right when it came out. You were a little bit older. Were you aware prior to your first viewing uh, that this shootout existed in the movie? Just on word of mouth. I heard about it uh, just through film because I was starting to get into it. But I, I really had no idea uh, what it played out as because this is this is still early Internet. So I'm not able to go to YouTube really or read IMDb. I, I still had to kind of watch it and figure it out myself. But I absolutely loved it. I mean, like I said, it was the most memorable slash. I couldn't remember shit at the top of this episode about it. Uh, I, I loved watching it because it 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 was was so well done and it was tight. Um, and so this go around when I watched it, I absolutely loved it again. Uh, it was perfect for my TV setup because I have a big TV and a big surround sound system. And I made sure to turn right this movie up. It. Well, I know. I mean, <laughs> I'm all right. And I turned it up pretty loud. So just hearing that and feeling that that visceral uh, viewing experience was was great. And the, one of the coolest things about the shootout scene was that it wasn't cheesy or artificial. There weren't moments where, you know, Ted Levine gets to take on Michael or or um, uh, what's whatever Williams Bubba Gump. He gets to take on Chris, right? It's not like a one V one battle. It's just all out chaos and calamity. There aren't any cheesy lines. They don't say anything stupid. Um, it's just full on balls of the wall action for 10 minutes. And I love, love, love how when uh, Michael Williams, when they get up to and West Studi, they get across the street and then the semi truck just passes and Chris without hesitation sees them and just opens fire. Zero realization, zero hesitation, just bam, starts firing. 
And you know that the heat is on at that point. So I really love the shit out of it. And I think it's one of the greatest uh, shootout action scenes I've seen in, in film history. Honestly, it was it was straight carnage. Yeah. So in the trivia section, uh, there's a part where it says Val Kilmer was thrilled to learn that at the moment in the gun battle scene, when he runs out of bullets and rapidly changes his magazine, it's regularly shown to Marine recruits as an example of how to perform the action properly. Yeah, so kind of I, I think that's that's really fascinating. Um, and when you when you do watch it, because I knew that that fact uh, while I was watching it. So when I saw him do it, I'm like, oh, this is really cool to watch. I mean, they went through that that uh, firearms training with uh, a professional shooter, basically. Um, and it's the same thing like that Keanu Reeves did with John Wick, where when he's doing his, his um, firearms training or when he's doing his his action scenes, you can tell he's been through firearms training just because of the stuff that he does. Like they show him actually reload a gun instead of have 60 bullets in a handgun sort of thing. But yeah, really loved it. Yeah. So there was a in in 1997, I remember staying home from school and there was a shootout in North Hollywood with these two bank robbers and they were wearing full body armor and it was intense. They were both killed uh, it, during the process, but like over 2000 rounds of ammunition was fired. And I remember the family of the of the criminals sued the city of L.A. because the ambulance couldn't get to their their loved ones because uh, it was too dangerous and like. They were saying that they could have survived had they had the cops let them through, but the cops didn't let the the ambulance go through to to help them. But I mean, a bull, billion bullets were firing. They were the bad guys anyway, shooting at everybody, <laughs> and so and everyone ended up. Yeah, I think it ended up being like a not guilty verdict kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it was intense. It was on TV. Uh, the police just had like nine millimeter pistolas, and they weren't able to penetrate their body armor, and it was homemade body armor for that matter. And eventually they had to get like slugs, uh, like one ounce lead, you know, bullets and shotguns to to bring them down. And it was intense. And I remember when it was on, I was like, holy shit, this is like heat on TV. (laughs) And it was crazy. And it was just the the one day I happened to stay home from school and I'm watching this on every channel. It was nuts. Wow. Not gonna lie. That's crazy, man. Yeah, it was crazy. I think one of them ended up killing himself. North Hollywood shootout. If you want to Google it. And get your facts right, because I'm just remembering it from ages ago. <laughs> show, show me the car facts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, was there anything that you would like to have seen done differently in the shootout? So not necessarily. Um, I think other it was... than Vincent stopping to to check on on Levine, I guess. Well, no, I think that that was important for his character. I think, like I was saying before, it just showed that he's way too obsessed with his his work to to catch the bad guy. And, and I'll go back to the policing thing. You're supposed to disengage in a traffic stop. That's why a lot of times you don't see high speed chases, because what happens is there's more collateral damage than there is uh, something going on with the chase where you have 30 cops trying to chase one car. And meanwhile, they're causing destruction or, or running into people left and right. And so all for one person, while you do need to stop that, that bad guy, um, it's almost like you're throwing fuel onto the fire by engaging longer. So um, I'm not a cop. I can't speak to it, but I think in terms of the movie, the scene was, was damn near perfectly executed. I could watch it over and over again. I absolutely loved it. The staging, the pacing, the score, the dialogue, the cinematography. Um, One thing I didn't mention when you talked about color is Los Angeles, we've talked about cities as a character, and this is a Los Angeles film through and through. 
I mean, this movie, I don't think could take place anywhere else other than L.A. It just it works for the scope that Michael Mann shoots it on. He's very, very wide with his shots. He doesn't do a ton of close ups. He likes to focus on keeping it kind of wide when he does do close ups. There's still enough in the background for you to see what's going on around them. So it, it just creates the scale for, for the movie. And I mean, it's shown in scenes like the the um, when they're looking down and he's like, you know what they're seeing us, the LAPD. And he's like, motherfuckers <laughs> like <laughs> that scene. <laughs> yeah. When when yeah, the shipping yard, it just shows you the scale of what's going on. And, and Los Angeles is so big. It's such a big city. And you obviously know that. So I think that having a shootout like this is just incredibly massive and, and grandiose, like I was saying earlier, but I uh, really loved it. And I, I wouldn't change anything about it. Is there another film with a shootout scene that rivals this one? Or is this one one of a kind? Oh my gosh, so many. So this one might take the cake, but I am going to pre- present some other ones that I really enjoyed. So The Wild Bunch, I think that that shootout at the end is incredible. It's a really long movie. I wasn't a huge fan of it because it was kind of boring, but I really enjoyed the final you know, 20 minutes or whatever it may be. With the cranking the, Gatling the gun. The Gatling gun. <laughs> Unreal. So cool. And it just inspired so many movies after that. Uh, John Wick 1, 2, and 3. I think they all have amazing shootout scenes. Specifically, I remember 3 with Halle Berry. That one is executed very well with the dogs. Uh, Love the shit out of it. The Matrix hallway scene is one of the most iconic shootouts. Uh, just so radical. And they pretty much could only do one shots. Uh, I believe that's how it, it was. Hard Boiled, which we were almost did uh, as a podcast, but that one is John Woo, man. He knows how to make a goddamn action movie. Yeah, I just don't know how many people have access to that movie. Yeah, no, it's okay. But I just remember watching it and being like, dude, this is a crazy like hospital shootout scene. And oh my God, it's there's a lot. He did the, he did the unlimited ammo code. And he really did. He really did. But it's funny because I, I talked about that, how I want the realism of the John Wicks that reload. But sometimes it's okay with a bang, bang, shoot 'em up movie to just have a Gatling gun that you can just keep shooting. It's kind of fun. Um, the town has a really good final shootout scene. I absolutely love it. The armored car when they're trying to escape. It's it's so, so good. But yeah, I would say Heat has to take the cake just from a tactical standpoint, just from a cinematography standpoint and, and everything else that, that went behind it. it. It's a really visceral experience, like I said, especially with the TV loud and it and, and buying the 4K version, I don't have a comparison to any other uh, versions because it's been so long. But I do know that that was a, a beautiful scene to watch. Mm-hmm. So I think like Black Hawk Down is one where it's almost like one continuous <laughs> yeah. shootout scene. You don't get a break. Yeah, that one's that one's hard, man. Once they go in to extract the target, it is it is just nonstop. And it's it's hard to watch, man. And I, I upwards of 19 or 22, uh, you know, Americans get killed yeah. and the camera pretty much shows all of them. And it's really, really hard. I remember just being alive when that was happening and I, it kind of struck a nerve when I was watching the movie. Yeah, that's a, but it, it just seems so movie. real, almost like they just set up cameras all over town and we're watching this violence unfold <laughs> it was very uncomfortable for me <laughs> make the lord very nervous <laughs> yeah this shootout it is insane at 100 and you're right about the wide angle stuff and the, you know very wide shots 
Uh, I feel like the only ones that ever really get close-ups are John Voight, and I can't stand looking at fucking John Voight, but <laughs> he's got a haircut in that movie, and he just wants to show it off, I guess. He is. A, he has a very weird haircut in that movie. <laughs> it's like a cowboy, but not really. I don't know. It is, I don't get it. It is weird. Yeah. <laughs> it is very weird. So, let's see. I think I had something else to talk about with that one, but... I don't. I've 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 lost lost my train of thought there. So we'll move on. So Donald the Wheelman gets it pretty rough in this film. Uh, the character shows up at the forty minute mark, and we learn that he's fresh out of prison and on probation. He's looking to start a new life, and the system fails him. Obviously, things didn't work out for Donald. But do you think that he made the right choice, or should he have stuck it out at the restaurant? Do you did he throw it all away, uh, or was the money worth the risk? Risk versus reward, baby. <laughs> you know, I'll just say this, just like the the Lauren thing. I don't think that there was enough time spent on him to actually care. He just kind of appears a good like 30 to 45 minutes in the movie. And 40 then, minute mark, he appears. Okay. And then, oh yeah, I see it right there. My bad. So yeah, the 40 minute mark. And you're already just kind of like, well, I'm already invested in these other characters. What's his angle? And they don't really go back to him very often. It, it didn't have much of a payoff because he's the driver, but then he gets killed very quickly. So I guess maybe, you know, it's trying to say, yeah, like, you know, the greed and, and, and this lifestyle can get you killed. But I didn't really feel like that was that was what they were trying to nail home with him. And I, I just honestly couldn't care less. So I was pissed he threw it all away because his his girlfriend or his wife was very supportive. And she was like, you know, I'm proud of you. Um, that was really, really neat. And she was a good support system. But at the at the drop of a hat, he was willing to to go back in with Robert De Niro and be like, Neil, like, you know, we spent time together. And yeah, I'll be your driver. Like, whoa, man. Also on Neil, that's uh, pretty ballsy to be like, hey, I haven't seen you in years, but are you still a good driver? Because I got a job right now. It's like, mm-hmm. what if he sucks, man? That could be your, your ass. Like a, a driver's a pretty uh, big deal in a heist. Right. If you met him in prison, then obviously he got caught. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's barely so even a, facto, I'm he's, your boss. <laughs> <laughs> trying to rake a mental sweat too. That's why I'm reading the dictionary. He is right. uh he's he's barely a good cook. How can he be a good uh good driver? Uh, so actually he's a heck of a grill man. Uh, um, yeah. he says that. So I, I think that's it, right? So like, you know, he's he's got this new job at the restaurant. You know, Don, Donald's a heck of a grill man, but his new boss is a weasel and he wants him busting tables, taking out the garbage, scrubbing the toilets. And if Don gives him a hard time, then the manager will report him as drunk, loaded, or stealing, which, of course, would send him back to prison faster than your head could spin. Uh, <laughs> on top of all of that, the manager also gets 25% of his paycheck. Which is so bullshit. This, yeah. Right. Now, this type of thing probably happens pretty often, especially with these restaurants where they just have people working under the table kind of thing. Uh, not too many companies are keen on hiring someone who served time in prison. Uh, but without a job, how are these folks supposed to make a living without going back to a life of crime? It's it's a vicious cycle. You know, the, yeah. the whole term of, you know, rehabilitation doesn't work anymore. Now it's just time served and then you're out. It's, recid- you know, rehabilitation it's recidivism now. It doesn't work. Yeah. And, it, you know, that's just the life that he knew, that Don knew. And I think that's kind of very much along the lines of Brooks from the Shawshank Redemption. It's Tried to, he tried to acclimate back into society or to assimilate back into society, but he realized, no, nah, man, I'm a criminal to the core. So, yeah. Were you in the core? Because you're not my fucking brother. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is a final one. There's a moment 
uh, around the two hour and six minute mark. Stay with me <laughs> in this film. Uh, Vincent gives a recap of everything that's happening in Neil's world. He explains over the phone that apparently Neil got sold out by this cowboy named Wangro. Wangro used to be a part of Neil's crew. Then he went to work for a money launderer named Van Zant. Units are at Van Zant's house as we speak because he got shot dead earlier tonight. Now, if Neil goes after anybody else tonight, it's going to be Wangro. Wangro just got himself a suite at the airport marquee under the name Jameson. He's there now. I want you to get that to all bail bondsmen, bookies, assignment offices, and snitches in county. Anyone that you can think of that'll put it out on the street. Deploy a team down at the hotel personally and check their comms every 30 minutes because maybe Neil will go after him. Okay? That's the line of dialogue. That's that's quite a recap and quite an info dump. Now, do you think that was for us, the audience, because so much shit's been happening in this movie and now we get a moment to breathe after the shootout? But did we need this info dump two hours into the movie? I mean... We we were kind of talking about it earlier about the length of this film. Um, I don't know if we fully discussed it, but it's it's a long one. And I honestly feel there could be about 30 minutes cut from the movie that it, it wouldn't really affect uh, how I felt about it. But um, and, and along with some weird editing decisions and pacing issues. But I think it was it was for the audience because that is a lot of like, how are we going to connect this? How is he going to figure out where Wangro is? Where the hell is Wangro? Why is he <laughs> What's <in> a Wangro? <laughs> What's a Wangro? Why is he still in L.A. when he knows that Neil is after him and he knows that his crew is the not fucking around crew? Like, I would be gone. I would be in in like China or New Zealand, somewhere not in the U.S. So I, I think that's how some people operate, though. Like, that's their turf. It's like it's Young Guns, too, does it. As stupid as this sounds, but Pat Garrett <laughs> explains to Vigo Mortensen why they are still hanging out in that same area, and he says he's he's like he's like part dog, part coyote, and he just it's his turf, and he's not going to go anywhere. He knows it's dangerous, but this is his home, and he's not going anywhere. And so Wangro is very much like that, to where this is his turf. He's not afraid of Neil. He's he's going to do his own thing. He's going to go hook up with all these prostitutes and kill them and do do what he's got to do. And I think that Wingro also has an ego. We talked about ego earlier. Vince has got an ego. Fucking Chris has an ego. Neil has an ego. They all have egos, including Wingro. Even yeah. fucking Van Zant. He thought that he could just play this guy and murder him in a drive-in movie. Yeah. He answers the phone casually after he calls him and he's like, "Oh, you didn't get the, you didn't get the uh the money? How did, how did the drop yeah. go?" <laughs> yeah. Everything's fine. Yeah. Thank you. Situation normal. <laughs> so, how are you? How are you? <laughs> <laughs> For all you Star Wars fans out there. But yeah, it's um it's it's fascinating because you're right. The ego is is a big a big part of it and one of my favorite moments in the film Justin, which I absolutely loved aside from the the shootout scene, um is when Neil is driving. It's towards the end of the movie. He's driving with Edie and Nate calls him, wishes him a good life, tells him Wayne grows at the at the airport marquee. And he's like, you're going to go after him. Are you done? He's like, no, nah, I'm done. Right. Hesitates for a little bit, but he's like, no, nah, I'm done. And the camera lingers on Neil for quite a while. And you can see it in his face that he's contemplating mm -hmm. it. But you as a viewer and someone who is rooting for him, but also maybe like, well, I hope he gets his comeuppance. You're like at that moment, you have to be rooting for him to just get the hell out of there. He's so close. He can reach the airport. He's almost there. Literally, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Like yeah. literally he's driving through a tunnel and there's the light at the end of the tunnel. And 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 it's it's just 
he turns off on the off ramp and, and he's like, I gotta, I gotta do something. It'll be, it'll be quick. It'll be 10 minutes. And I'm like, no, you know, what's going to happen. It's just, these things never end up like you want it to. And he almost gets away with it. Um, but it's, it's, it leads to his ultimate demise. And I think it's, it's one of the best moments in the movie is it's about choice. It's about the choices we make. And he, has done the impossible and committed this robbery and evaded the police somehow very elusively, even though he's just been kind of hanging out in LA as like the most wanted man in LA for the past eight hours. And he's still just kind of hanging out. But regardless, he's, he's almost out. He, he is, he has his chance and he just decides to go kill Wayne Grow. Um, personal vendetta. It's him breaking his, his own rules. Uh, it does lead for a, a pretty great climax, um, and I understand, but maybe, you know, the, to answer your question, yes, I, I do believe that the recap is for the audience so it can set up this and then the final confrontation between Vincent and Neil uh, for sure. But I still absolutely love that shot. I think it was that whole scene was one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I like it when he gets into Wayne Girl's room. He's like, look at me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love that. It's like open your eyes, you know. Look at me. Robert De Niro is is amazing in this movie. It's it's one of my favorite performances I've ever seen from him. Honestly, he's just so goddamn good, and everything he does in this, I absolutely love. Okay, so that actually brings me to my next question: the the coffee shop scene. Seven years in Folsom, in the hole for three. McNeil before that. McNeil is tough as they say. You're looking to become a penologist? You're looking to go back? You know, I chased down some crews, guys just looking to fuck up, get busted back at you. You must have worked some dipshit crews. I worked all kinds. You see me doing thrill seeker liquor store holdups with a born to lose tattoo on my chest? No, I do not. Right. I am never going back. Then don't take down scores. I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. Trying to stop guys like me. You know, we have two Hollywood legends on screen together for the first time. Of course, they were both in Godfather Part 2, but they didn't share a scene together. Does this scene live up to the hype? Do you see Al Pacino and Bobby D, or do you see Vincent and Neil? I mean, it's pretty amazing, man. I see I see parts of both of them. So I see the characters. I see the same person, Vincent and Neil, talking about dreams together, about, you know, what they dream of, um, sharing war stories. I love the the volley, the verbal volley that they are, are having where they're explaining how good they are at their craft and explaining, you know, Bobby D is like, do, do I look like I have whatever tattooed on my chest and I'm holding up liquor stores? I mean, he's a professional thief. He He's not hiding the fact. He's like, I'm going to pull this this heist off and you're not going to get in my way sort of thing. If you get in my way, I will not hesitate for a, a second. You know, there's a flip side to that will, coin. I will bring you down, baby. I will bring you down. It is. Down. <laughs> <laughs> you're in my world, grandma. Um, but it is, it's so well done. And, and I do see everything that Al Pacino has done. Al Pacino for this entire movie, honestly, I don't think it's one of his best performances and that's just me. I I think he's all over the place and he's too erratic for me. Um, Bobby D is, is just really dialed into a hundred percent in this and he's so well done. Um, 
you know, I mean, they talk about my life is a disaster zone. I got a stepdaughter so fucked up because her real father's this large type asshole. I got a wife. We're passing each other on the downslope of a marriage. My third, because I spent all my time chasing guys like you around the block. That's my life. And then he says, you know, a guy told me one time, don't let yourself get attached to anything you are not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat. If you feel the heat around the corner. Now, if you're on me and you got to move when I move, how do you expect to keep a, a marriage? It's um that that right there. It's it's so interesting because they need each other. It's the Joker to the Batman sort of thing. But I, I do see parts like I think we talked about in Goodfellas. You saw Robert De Niro in that character. And in this character for Heat, I can see bits of what Robert De Niro is, but it's it's mostly just the characters, I think, for me. I don't see Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. I see Vincent Hanna and Neil Molly, Neil McCauley. Right. So I think I think the thing... The point that I was probably trying to make with Goodfellas was that a character has has oh, emerged yeah. from his performance in Goodfellas. You know, like the what did I tell you? Didn't I say don't buy anything? You know, yeah. like he keeps repeating himself. And so anyone that's going to interpret like, you know, do an impersonation of De Niro, they're either going to do the you talking to me kind of thing from Taxi Driver or they're going to do fucking uh, Goodfellas. Yeah. And so he just has a way about him. But I, I do think that that he is on a, on a whole nother level in this particular movie. I agree. And I, and I am curious if the two actors could swap roles. Like, what would this uh, movie be like if Al Pacino was Neil and, and De Niro was Vincent? I don't think it would have been as good. I, I think, I mean, even even the line, like I was talking about the flip side of the coin, I'm just going to read it because it's so good. I mean, Vincent Hanna basically just tells him, you know, if, if it's between you and some poor bastard whose who's wife you're going to turn into a widow, brother, you are going down. And then Neil says, there is a flip side. He pauses, too. Yeah, because he's, he's, thinking he, about it. he's thinking about it. He's like, there is a flip side of that coin. What if you do got me boxed in and I got to put you down? Because no matter what, you will not get in my way. We've been face to face. Yeah, but I will not hesitate. Not for a second. And it is, I feel that when he says it, like he, he really sends it. And if I feel like if Al Pacino did that, it just, it wouldn't have a lasting effect on me, but De Niro just nails it. But, but I think, so that's probably, you're probably correct. But I mean, I think if you were to get Al Pacino's Godfather 2 performance, you know, sure, like sure. Al Pacino has evolved. He hasn't always been crazy town banana pants <laughs> no. Pacino. He's, He's been normal at, at a point in his career, you know what I mean? Uh, and he has a calm demeanor and a scary demeanor about him when he wants to have that. You know, even like Scarface. When you watch Scarface, you're just like, fuck, this guy's terrifying. Yeah. He's kind of weird, but he's terrifying. Uh, but it's just something fun to think about if the if the roles were reversed. Yeah, it, it would be really interesting. Um you know, I, I, I could see it, but I think at this point in their careers, Al Pacino, you're right, was a little kind of cuckoo. Yeah, he's 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 crazy. I'm in a What do we got? You know, oh like he's always God. screaming and stuff. He's screaming all the time. It's just <laughs> holy yeah. shit. Dude. Okay. Maybe, bon he voyage. Was, maybe he was method acting and he was really doing the cocaine. It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> all, all his cool jewelry is gold chains and stuff like that. He has yeah. a lot of gold chains. And he loves his TV, too. Yes. <laughs> He's like, you can you can sit on my couch, you can ball my wife, but uh, you don't get to watch my fucking television set. Yeah. And then he throws it out the car. <laughs> I know. It's so stupid. It's funny. Oh. Uh, so we love a good heist movie. Where does Heat rank in your favorite heist films? Is it 
inside the top five or the top 10, or does it rank somewhere outside of all that? So I'm just going to give you my top five in no particular order, but it's got to be Ocean's Eleven, Inception, Heat, The Town, and Point Break. And I love all those for certain reasons, but honestly, this has to be my number one at this point. This is, is it really your number one? This this is my number one heist film. Uh, Ocean's Eleven is fun. It's really campy. I love how it's a uh, reveal at the end. That's a neat thing. Inception's is cool because of the, the spectacle and the grand scale everything is, and just the idea of dream heists. The town is excellent because it's like a stepson to, to heat. It's a love letter to heat, um, but it's just really well done. And you really care about the characters a lot. And I'd say even more so than heat um, point break is just always one of those fun adrenaline filled action movies that it's not the best acting, but it holds such a special place in my heart. And it's it's a different thing else is pure adrenaline, <laughs> dude. It is. It is so well done. But um, heat. I can't believe how well this was. And it was one of those movies you started naming the cast where there's so many uh, people that pop up. And this one show uh, podcast I listened to called The Rewatchables, they've done this movie three times, Justin, because Chris Ryan, one of the hosts, it's his favorite movie ever. And they have a category called That Guy Award or That Girl. There are so many that guys in this movie that you're like, oh, my God, it's him. Oh, my God, it's him. Or, oh, my God, it's her from this. There are tons of those actors that even like um, Jeremy Piven, he has a he has a very small yeah. role. Yeah, he's like, give me your shirt. He's like, my daughter gave me this shirt for Father's Day. No, it's like, what? Why was he in this movie? So there's there's so much going on, and so I absolutely love it. But when you watch that opening scene with that truck really hitting, because I'm a sucker for practical effects, that tr- truck really hitting the armored truck and the sound it makes, holy crap! That is, uh, I, I I put my sound bar to an eleven on that one. It was. It was phenomenal. So I, I'd say, yeah, this has to be my number one heist film. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah, I, so Ocean's Eleven's my favorite heist film. Uh, but then, and no, if I had to rank them, I don't know, that might be kind of hard. Uh, Heat would probably be number two. Uh, Point Break would be number three. The Town would be number four. And Fast Five. I love Fast five. five. I was thinking about the shootout scene for Fast Five when they're in Brazil. Like, yeah. that was... That was a pretty badass uh, shootout scene, like when the Rock's whole team gets killed. I think that was awesome. I for for a, a car about for a movie about cars, I wasn't expecting a shootout scene to be that good, but that that movie was on a whole other scale. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I, I fucking love Fast Five. It's so good. Like unless the cars are invisible, we're not going to make it. <laughs> Cars are still here. I didn't go to the airport. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so you touched on this for a second, but this is going to be my last question, which is why I knew I should have had it as my second question. But um, talk about choices, right? So it's not uncommon for us to complain about the length of a motion picture show. Uh, is heat too long? Is there anything that that you could have cut out that would have made the movie be- a better viewing experience for you? We talked about uh, Natalie Portman's character talked about maybe even Wayne girl uh, and the whole Van Zant uh, angle. Um, but ultimately this is like a two hour and 46 minute movie or something like that. So uh, what, what do you think? Are you, are you cool with it being that long at the end of the day? Are you glad it's that length and that it has everything you mentioned earlier about you cut up, cut out like 30 or 40 minutes. Would those be hard cuts or would those be easy cuts? Those would be easy cuts for me. Like I talked about the 30 minutes or so. I think those are easy cuts. They don't do anything really for the film. I mean, you could argue each one of them for sure. You could argue um, Lauren's uh, Natalie Portman's role is to uh, strengthen the fact that Vince needs 
family in his life. The other would be Dennis Haysbert's part. Um, Don's is, you know, and there might've been more of that, but they, that might've sure. already been cut. I know they should have put those on the definitive about. director's cut. Like what the hell? That's your, that's your time, Michael Mann. But, um, yeah, it would, it was interesting. And then Wayne grow, the whole serial killer thing went absolutely nowhere. I was like, what? So he's a serial killer too. It just, it seemed so far out of left field, but I think maybe that this is just my theory is, is they put that in there to show, uh, to give to give Neil more of a um, cathartic experience of like killing him because or the viewer cathartic experience because it's like Wayne grows a really bad guy and Neil killing him is justified now because not only did he screw over his crew, he's a he's a terrible person. So he deserves to die. I mean, that could be one argument, but I still feel like it was 30, 30 minutes too long. You could you could change some of those things up and, and tighten it a bit. Um, it was just. Yeah, when I started it at about eight o'clock, I'm like, dude, this is going to be one hell of a ride. So, yeah, it was long. Yeah, there aren't too many movies that I enjoy that are really long, but this is one of them. Like I can I can watch Heat pretty much any day of the week. I actually watched it about three weeks ago uh, yeah. before I went to Chicago. I watched it and I was like, fuck, yeah, I love this movie. And then I wanted to watch it again because it was my turn to write the questions. But I was like... I don't care. See, I fucking love this movie. I'll watch it right now. So uh, I was totally cool with it because I've I've seen this movie several times. It it uh, is almost my favorite heist movie ever. And I mean, I've seen Ocean's Eleven a billion trillion times, but he is right up there with it, man. I think I just think they're so vastly different uh, those films and and how they I talk, are. how I talked about the realism and and the not campiness. Ocean's Eleven is is one hundred percent camp, and I, I love it. It's great, but. When I'm thinking of a heist, I'm thinking, Dan, this is going to be some scary shit. You know, they're breaking the law and I, I want to see it without any jokes or without any weird uh, strategy involved. And it's they do they do a really good job with heat. So I think that's why it's it's uh, ranked pretty damn high. But I think what's interesting about Ocean's Eleven, though, is that they, they get away with it. Nobody dies and there's like no swearing right there's yeah. no like nudity it's a different kind of heist movie it's the will it's, smith of heist movies <laughs> it's, yeah it's it's interesting because like he follows that formula of you know we have a really good heist then we have a not so good heist then we have to do one more job right and their not so good heist ends up not even going through because they hear the noise and they abandon you know they they abort the mission basically but that's almost every heist movie we've ever seen. It's good heist, bad heist, one more heist, and everybody dies. Yeah. I mean, Point Break came out before even the ta- this. Even the town is like that. Yeah, but the town takes a lot of uh, liberties from this movie, I would say. Red Dead Redemption 2 influence. is like that. Grand Theft Auto, I had Grand Theft Auto vibes the entire time. So with uh, the guy in the wheelchair who tells them, Tom, who tells them about the, the, the bank job, I'm like, yeah. oh, that guy's been in a ton of movies. And... <laughs> Why is he in a wheelchair? It doesn't really advance the story. But I was thinking about Grand Theft Auto Five and how you have the dude with the the cane who sets up all the jobs for you. Right. And I mean, obviously, that game took a lot of inspiration from Heat. There's no doubt about it. They did so. Sure. I mean, I think heist movies in general. But yeah. Yeah, but but I mean, it was it was it was interesting though, and and I think I think that's probably why I loved it so much is because I've just seen it it bleed out to my other favorite movies that are mm-hmm. heist films. And I've seen aspects of it done and I know it came before those ones. So yeah, it's uh, other than point break, but it's, it's very well done. The length though. I'm, I am surprised that you love it so much. Cause you, you're always like, I want a 90 minute movie. That's it. 
like a pizza sort of thing. Yeah, you got to leave um, in three minutes. <laughs> yeah, but but other than it, Lord of the Rings or The Dark Knight or anything like that, you know, you you, you are. So I think The Dark Knight man. is too long. Yeah, like, I get bored. Like wow. when the whole like Harvey Dent thing, I'm like, oh my god, just fast forward. But it's your buddy Aaron Eckhart. I do. I like him. I thank him for smoking. <laughs> I know that movie was weird. <laughs> Nick Naylor. Yeah, there made me want to be a lobbyist. There you go. You should be a lobbyist. They're bad. They are bad. They're criminals, man. <laughs> they are. They're pulling heist left and right in Washington. <laughs> uh, but it's a pretty sweet gig. Yeah. Could you, ever, could you ever see this movie being remade? Uh, no. I mean, I, I could see it happening, but I would hate every second of it. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, I could see Hollywood saying, yeah, let's remake Heat. But you know why I would hate it? Because it's going to be all about hacking and, and yeah. all this other bullshit. Na- that, nanobots. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't do that. This is, this is barely a digital world in, this, in Heat. Right, yeah. like he, Neil doesn't even understand the idea of this data and code floating around that your guy in the wheelchair is talking about. He's like, "How do you know about this?" Oh, it's just floating around, you know, just numbers and data and code. You know, I I know how to grab the code. He says right. something like that. All right, Kelso, yeah, he, he, he like invented the internet. So yeah, and it's like it's so it's funny that way because these crimes you're able to do in a pre-digital world, you know, in in this. Right analog world where they're relying on technology that's that's able to be like um circumvented i suppose you could say like how they go into the bank ahead of time and they know when the call is going to be made and they they have all these ways of getting around the fuzz and um i don't know it just it makes more sense whereas today there's so many new factors with money and banks that a lot of times tellers don't even touch money. You know, they don't even have access to it or whatever. I think that's kind of crazy. Yeah, I think technology will always be something that you have to combat when you have a remake because it really changes the landscape of the entire film. And the beauty of films like this is Los Angeles is so vast. And if they had smartphones and other tracking devices, you'd be like, okay, well, they're over here instead of them being able to to simultaneously at 9 p.m. all ditch their tails, basically. Uh, you'd have surveillance left and right and one of my favorite other favorite moments is when they're in the truck and they're watching neil with a thermal vision and you hear that sound and then the camera focuses on al pacino it's a close-up of him and then a close-up of the thermal neil looking at each other Mm -hmm. They, they can't see each other but you know they're looking through each other and it's really well done and of course if you had it nowadays you'd have like x-ray vision through the walls and all this dumb shit so i agree with you I would still probably see it, but I would be really upset. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd watch it for sure. Ethan Hawke would probably be in it, and it'll be amazing. <laughs> Another Ethan Hawke movie. <laughs> but uh, that's just one of them movies that I don't want to see touched, especially with, with you know, this digital world that we live in where everything is hacked. And, oh, yeah, I'll just go into this ATM machine and use that camera to go do this and do that. And we'll have all red lights, and then we'll have all green lights. And it's just stupid. I hate it. Yeah. It's such a... It's such a crutch for storytelling with the hacking, and I hate it. Yeah, crazy stuff. And I won't stand for it. Uh, so you said this is your favorite heist movie. This is number one, right? That yep. was Those were your words? My number one. What uh, are your final thoughts and letter grade? If, I imagine it's an A, but maybe it's an A+. plus. Maybe it's an A-. minus. So I'm just curious where you fall on that A spectrum, and what are your final thoughts? Oh, this is an A. Easily an A. Um, I I think this movie is is very very well done. It's Michael Mann's best film. 
Um, second behind Miami Vice. No, I'm Number one to his show. <laughs> no, I really like Collateral a lot as well. Um, he hasn't done anything in quite a while, Michael Mann. He's um, he kind of I don't know if he like stopped directing. Uh, heat I, two, Heat two, Electric Boogaloo, Heat check. Uh, he is. I don't think he has anything. Tokyo Vice. He did an episode for on HBO. The last movie he did was in 2015, and it was Black Hat. So your favorite type of movie. That one was with Chris Hemsworth, and he was a hacker. Uh, very weird. And then he did Public Enemies in 2009, and that movie oh, was I not good. Oh, I hated that movie. That movie was not good. That movie sucks so bad. Yeah, it was pretty bad. So he he had his run in the 80s and the 90s and um, did a really good job. But after that, he's just been kind of hanging out, you know, hanging out playing Nintendo. <laughs> so, yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Fuck. Um. <laughs> uh, so this is an A for me for sure. That's fair. That's a decent grade. What about you? Uh, yeah, it's an A for me. I love it. That's fantastic. I will watch it any day of the week. Anybody that hasn't seen it that wants to watch it, I will watch it with you. I downright enjoy it. And one of my favorite lines from the whole movie is, I do for you, but you don't do for me. Is that it? That's my favorite line in the whole movie. <laughs> they say it often. I, I do favors for people every day, and I love throwing that line out there. My favorite line is um, uh, Tom Sizemore's moment that he gets to actually act with the big dogs with Rob De Niro, and he gets his his 30 blinks in, and he's like, the, for me, the action is the juice. You know, for me, the action is the juice. I'm in. I love that. <laughs> I, I want to keep saying that from now on. The action is the juice. I It's so cool. I want to tattoo it on my damn arm. So it's, uh, it's pretty great. The action, is the, juice. The action had, is the juice. He had trouble with the law. He did. He was breaking the law, breaking the law. He is in a movie called Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. Uh, you told me about that once. He's a bad guy. Oh, doesn't surprise me. He's also in The Last Castle. Oh, no, that was James Gandolfini. You know, we were talking about shootouts earlier and really cool shootouts. Uh, speaking of Tom Sizemore, he's in the movie True Romance. He's a cop and yeah. he forgets his bulletproof vest. And there's an incredible shootout in this uh, in the penthouse at the end of the movie. And uh, Tom Sizemore, he catches a lot of bullets <laughs> with his body. <laughs> and it's intense. And uh, I really like that shootout scene, too. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, that's it for me, man. Go ahead and take us out. Thank you for indulging me and letting me do the movie Heat. It is streaming on Stars if you have it. Uh, just a quick reminder. Otherwise, uh, you'll have to, uh, I suppose, buy it if you want to watch it. Or if you already own it, pop it in and check it out because it is a lot of fun. Strickland Propane, baby. <laughs> so yeah. It's good. It's a good one. Uh, so thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod at Edgy Armo and at ZachDale60 where you can share your thoughts with us and we will discuss them on our show. You can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episodes. Uh, please make sure that those movies are streaming because we are cheap bastards. <laughs> and we're liars. <laughs> and we're liars. We lie all the time. I do want to do True Lies because Stephen Alva Wood asked us to and I freaking love that movie but it when, whenever we want it, we have this problem with the shows. Whenever we want to do a movie it's never streaming and whenever we forget about it it's always streaming. <laughs> bullshit so as soon as true lies comes up we will do that because that's a that's a good one um and then please make sure that you subscribe to our show on apple Podcasts, and if you like it leave us a five-star review because it helps immensely additionally we are also available on every other major podcast app just please remember to not be crazy i should say don't be crazy and thank you for listening thank you so much